Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emma Gunnar-Wardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you. Whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest in this episode with the podcast is Tom Chapman. Tom is the founder of the Lions Barber Collective. He's an award-winning barber, author, public speaker, global barber director, and international educator. I saw Tom give a talk back in October 2021. We were both at Professional Beauty on the Timely stage, and I was very lucky to get to hear him give his talk, and I knew immediately I wanted to chat to him on the show, as I thought his insights would be something that you, my most excellent listeners, would find interesting and potentially helpful. Tom started the Lions Barber Collective after losing a friend to suicide and the mission of the collective is to reduce male suicide rates by encouraging men to talk while they get a trim, an appointment that might seem superficial but which involves close contact and trust. And the Lions Barber Collective's work has had a meaningful impact, Tom has revealed previously. This can be life-saving. Well, I know it's life-saving. We've saved lives and I hope we continue to save others. And Tom's work highlights something that I think perhaps gets overlooked in the beauty industry. And I know uh, Lions Barber Collective obviously is focused more on men because of the experience that Tom had. But just let's look at the industry as a whole. That's the value and intimacy of the relationship we have with our beauty professionals. I know I've opened up to hairdressers in the past or I've been having a wax and I've told my waxer who's a friend, who becomes a friend about something that may be going on at work that I haven't told anyone else. They provide a safe space where people can often feel more at ease and comfortable to open up about what's really going on and about how they are really feeling. And I was blown away by his insights and how obvious it is that spotting red flags, knowing how to speak to people who may be struggling, is something that anyone working in beauty, anyone who has close physical contact with their customers, clients and or patients, depending on what field you work in, should be an essential part of the training in the same way that health and safety is, because it is health and safety after all, right? So I invited him on the show to share his insights and to spread the word. You may not think a hair appointment, an eyelash tint or a leg wax has the potential to save a life, but when you hear Tom's experiences, when you hear Tom's insights, when you hear what Tom's work has achieved, you may change your mind. So during this conversation, we discuss creating a safe space for people to talk, and this is relevant whether you are giving somebody a blow dry giving them a fade or whether you're just talking to a friend his insights are of value and especially for men for whom opening up about mental health can be more of a challenge there's a little bit more of a stigma attached to it we discuss how to ask helpful questions and to do so in a way that validates somebody's feel feelings feels rather than minimizing them Uh, and there's some really interesting insights that tom's uh, tom shares in the episode on that 
He also shares the signs to watch out for to spot if somebody may be struggling with their mental health, just things to keep an eye on. And if you are in the position of seeing somebody semi-regularly, maybe you are working with them, maybe you work with them, whatever it might be, just something to notice so that uh, things don't come as a shock. Maybe you might have spotted a decline, perhaps. Why you won't give someone ideas if you broach a conversation with them that might seem difficult or sensitive. And why we need to offer support to people who work in beauty and grooming to offload after a day of constant interaction with people and much more. Now, just to that point, he he says something on the show which is so obvious. Uh, Counselors, therapists, anyone who works in that kind of line of work has somebody to offload to has a kind of a debrief at the end of their working day because it can be a lot but that isn't something that's afforded to people who work in beauty people who work in close contact in the way that hairdressers beauty professionals do and this is all work he's trying to do to change that to really support people who work in this industry so i'm really delighted to share this conversation and hope that we can achieve that that uh, we can achieve some changes to how beauty professionals are educated so that this becomes part of the training I'll let Tom do the talking for now. As you can tell, it's something I feel quite passionately about and you'll hear exactly how passionate Tom how passionate Tom is about it too. I will put the link to Tom, to the Lions Barber Collective, to his TED Talk, to his books, because I think his fourth book has just been published. I'll put all of the links to those things in the show notes. But for now, I'm delighted to welcome Tom Chapman onto The Emma Gunn Show. Welcome to the podcast, Tom Chapman. How are you? Brilliant, thank you. Uh, it's great to be here with you this morning. Thank you for having me on. No, I'm excited, excited to chat to you. So you are the founder of Lions Barber Collective, and I saw you give a talk probably a couple of months ago now. Feels like probably feels like a year ago, as time has <laughs> lost all sense of meaning over the last two years. But I saw you give a talk recently, and it really opened up my eyes and ears and heart actually to an aspect of our industry that I hadn't really ever fully appreciated and it's why you founded the Lions Barber Collective so do you want to explain how that all started? Uh, yeah of course um, it does seem like ages ago doesn't it it was uh, <laughs> it does. Uh, yeah lost all track of time <laughs> um, Lions Barber Collective it started when I lost a friend to suicide in 2014 um, and I was completely unaware that he was struggling, even though I'd seen him just days before. Uh, I had small talk with him in the street and everything seemed fine as far as I knew. But a few days later, I found out via social media that he'd taken his life. And it really sort of, I spent the evening, the whole night asking myself questions. Why, why would he do that? Why would he leave everybody? Why would he suffer alone? Um, But also like, what if, what if he had what if he had reached out to someone or what if I'd recognized what if I'd asked him if he was suicidal what what would he have said and would I know what to do and I the answer is no I'd had no idea what to do um and a real pivotal moment for me was at his funeral and I was one of the first people not to have a seat so I was ushered to the front and I was actually stood next to him in his coffin looking back at the the room um which is quite a, a unique position to be in at a funeral normally you're very it's quite an insular emotional experience maybe you um put your arm around someone next to you or you react to people in your on your line but you're looking at the back of everyone's heads um whereas I was stood there and I was looking at all these faces which were spilling out into the lobby still because there's no room for any more people thinking how could he have this much love yet feel so alone mm-hmm. and that's what made me think I needed to do something so that's kind of why it started but it didn't kind of happen until about 12 months later um, when I set up what was going to be a one-off project, uh, which was the Lions Barber Collective, I got a group of barbers together, and the idea was to create a lookbook or catalogue of men's haircuts, which would be in barber shops and raise awareness for mental health and suicide prevention. Um, and up until that point, I was pretty much unaware that there was charities or awareness and things for mental health and suicide prevention. Um and then I quickly learned it's the biggest killer in young people in the UK under 45s and 75% of them are men. Um, and it's, it's just, it's just a huge problem. And, it, and I, I got been thrust into it. And I realized very quickly, actually, that as hairdressers, barbers, beauticians, we are listening to these stories all the time. We are listening to people's lives. We are there. We support them, um, whether we like it or not. We have these conversations. We build relationships with people. We're there for, or everything, aren't we? The the engagements, the first dates, the breakups, the 
babies and miscarriages, divorces, yeah, all, everything. Um, and so I think that made me realise that I wanted to take it further. And then we became a charity um, in 2017, December the 19th. And it's just kind of gone on and evolved from there, really. I think that's the thing is that it's such an intimate relationship that one has with the person who cuts their hair, with the person who does their facials, with the person who does their Botox. With mm. it, They are really intimate relationships where you are so physically comfortable. And as you say, it means that you sometimes have these conversations that you might hold back in your normal uh, friendship circles that you, that you might feel quite exposed. And I think what I really heard in the talk that you gave is actually that's just as precious and that needs to be given as much care and attention as in your case you're a barber as the haircut as the fade mm. um and yet you have no you have a hell of a lot of training for one and a, a develop your skills and get qualifications but you have absolutely no training for the other and I think what really moved me is realizing that that's the catch that it, it's not just about the haircut it's that you can make a significant difference you can catch somebody before they fall and it was the fact that you realized that was a responsibility that you had to then step up to yeah uh, the relationship between a beauty professional hair beauty professional and their client is one of trust they trust us to use sharp tools around their heads and ears we touch that intimate we touch a very intimate space on people's bodies there and, and that intimacy will lead to trust, will lead to conversations. We're a familiar stranger. They know us. We build relationships with them over time, but we're not part of their social circle. Um, we're not going to be able to go and tell their friends or family or, or anything like that. So they feel there's that level of confidentiality there. Um, and you don't have to be the best hairdresser or beautician or whatever to have be a busy and have a good relationship, have clients. Uh, clients understand they don't look a, a guy probably doesn't know the difference between an amazing fade and a good fade but they know the difference between an amazing experience of an amazing person and an okay experience of an okay person and that builds up that time and they probably don't look at the haircut until they're sat back in the chair with you again anyway they just style mm -hmm. it and off they go it's it's about the relationships that we have which build which our industry is built around and like you said we don't have any training in these conversations we have I can remember being 18 behind the chair and having conversations with women as a, as a stylist and Tony and Guy with telling me about the menopause and telling me about miscarriages and telling me about, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. I knew how to cut and blow dry their hair, but I didn't know how to have that conversation. And we study physical health and safety. We psoriasis and head lice and ringworm and all those wonderful things that we have graphic images of in our textbooks. But we don't study the mental health and safety and it's about protecting us as well as protecting them. And the, one of the key moments I really realized that was when, um, after the Alliance Bible Collective was founded, I was talking to one of my friends, Paul, um, and he was telling me about all the things he was going through and he completely opened up to me. Um, and I just really told him about Alliance Bible Collective, what we were doing and how it's okay for men to open up and talk to people and seek help. And there is help out there. Um, he actually went to end his own life thought about the conversation we had which was enough for him to get back in his car and drive to his parents house where he started his journey to recovery um and i can happily say he's still with us now he's married he's got a house he's got his own business he's got a little boy um and you know it's like oh, the power of that conversation and we are doing it in this industry we service pretty much the entire nation the, the infrastructure the hair and beauty has industry has is incredible it's accessible to all it's non-judgmental, it's non-clinical, it's on every single high street, um, and, and we're doing it anyway. So I think it's, there's a sort of sense of responsibility that we should have this training to keep ourselves safe and keep our clients safe. I know we're talking about the UK here, and obviously in the UK, the beauty industry is worth over £30 billion. But obviously this, what you're talking about is universal, and I know it's global. And I know there are lots of listeners of this podcast who aren't in the UK, who are all over the world. And so that's why I really wanted to share this, because I think it really struck me how there is a responsibility to educate people, to, to hear the warning signs in something that people say, because even though it might not be an obvious say cry for help there is something that you can catch and I, I believe that's what you've really you've uh, sort of learned the questions to ask to get to to if you if you do sense that there's a red flag you now have a series of questions or something that you can say to prompt a response that might end up being helpful 
Yeah, and it's not always going to be, um, are you suicidal? I mean, it's probably very, very rarely going to be that, but it's about being prepared to ask if you need to. Um, it's more about keeping people mentally well and realizing the value of the service that we do as you know, not only the creative service, but the service of the listening and the comforting and the connection that we have there. So, you know, when I uh, developed the training, the Barber Talk and Hair Beauty Talk, um, I I'd done lots of training. I'd done mental health first aid, suicide assist, um, zero suicide alliance one, safe talk. And um, the, the feedback and the feel that I got from them, they were very intense. It was very much about, which was great for me, it was in, I was interested in it. Um, but what what is bipolar? This is what bipolar looks like. This is how to recognize bipolar. This is how to recognize um, I don't know, psychosis or whatever. And actually, we don't necessarily need that. We just need to tone it down a bit and make it accessible and usable for us. It's about recognizing that somebody, Maybe going through something. They're not themselves. There's a change in their behavior. Uh, they're not there, you know, because you get to know them as a client regularly. Um, they're not behaving normally. So then it's about having the confidence to ask them a question. And we always say to people, How's it going? You're all right. Um, but we don't actually, it's not a question, it's a greeting. So it's mm-hmm. about actually asking it, asking it again and asking, you know, really good questions like, How are you feeling today? You you don't seem yourself. Would you like to talk to me? Um, and giving people the permissions and get asking them the questions that makes them feel comfortable to open up to you. Uh, and then being able to listen well. Um, and I think as a hair and beauty industry professionals, we are fixers and solvers. People come in with bad hair, bad, I don't know, whatever it may be, and we fix and solve the issue and make them look fantastic. Um, but when it comes to the mental health and the offloading, we, with the listening part, we need to step back and realize we don't have to fix or solve it. But by giving them that platform, and listen to them and give the conversation back to them time and time again so that they have this platform to be able to be heard. Um, you, you probably, with those three pillars of recognize, ask, and listen, you're helping people a lot anyway and preventing further mental ill health. Um, but then the last pillar that we do as well, which is like a safety net, is the help to help where we build up our own keep safe connection list of what resources are available should you ever need it. You know where to send somebody to keep them safe. Um, or, or help them improve their their mental health. So it's really, really simple four pillars. And we can all do that everywhere in our lives. So it doesn't have to be behind the chair or uh, on the uh, treatment table or anything. It can be with our friends, our family, recognize signs that something's wrong, ask good questions, listen well, don't try and fix and solve it, and then mm-hmm. help them find the help they need should they need it. Um, and, and like I said, we can all make a safe space. So recognize is is the first thing. And I think it was when you talked about that conversation you had with your friend in the street, a, a series of salutations and greetings. And um, and you asked yourself afterwards, would I have recognized anything? Would you mind explaining for listeners who might want to um, develop this skill? What, what are the what does recognize look like? So recognize essentially when I sat down and developed the training I had a, a Dr Peter Aitken who is a, a psychiatrist a medical director and he overlooked it for me and we went through and discussed this recognized what it could look like and essentially it came down to the fact that it's any changes in behavior so it could be really small it could be really big but if you know that person and they always get up early all the time and then they start getting up late and it's repeatedly getting up later and later and later that's a sign that something's going on or if they stay if a family member spends more time alone or in their room or if um they're eating too much they gain weight very quickly or lose weight very quickly um it's it's it can be anything really but it's what's out of character for that individual is a sign so if you had a client that always comes in and gives you a big hug and a kiss and you know, wants to tell you about the kids and the this and that, whatever. And then they come in one day and they don't give you a hug and a kiss and they're not very talkative. Something's probably happened. It may not be depression. It may be that they've, I don't know, uh, they've got a flat tire on a car or something. It, it, but it, it's, it's worth asking those questions um, because I've spoken to people which, when we've done the training and I've spoke about these recognized signs. Um, and I've had a couple of people come to me afterwards and say, look, my friend or my brother or um, someone I know killed themselves and I, they were doing those things I did recognize it but I didn't ask them because I thought it was just they were just spending more time in their room or they were just you know they stopped going to the gym because they weren't feeling it anymore and now I wish I had asked them so it's really important to ask the question it may be a positive answer but we need to take responsibility on that and I think we don't ask those questions when we recognize because we're scared of what the answer may be and what 
that will be on us then and how do we fix it how do we solve it it's our, our responsibility but actually we need to be braver in asking those questions when we do recognize those little changes in people um serious things that you can recognize sorry i'm going on a little bit but i just want to say that if someone says things like i can't go on anymore i've had enough um i, I just don't want to be here those kind of things are actually really serious and i think we've probably all heard people say that in our mm. lives and go oh no you'll be fine time's a good healer or you'll be all right um, it doesn't necessarily mean suicide, but it does mean that they are they, they're really struggling in that moment. Um, so yeah, be aware if someone does say, don't just brush it off. It's interesting, isn't it? Because when you talk about asking, funnily enough, this morning on uh, my Instagram, someone on an Ask Me Anything has said that they haven't heard from a friend and should they send them a message saying, are you okay? And it's that weird thing because no one really loves getting that text, being asked, are you okay? Especially if you're not okay, because you feel like, oh, now I have to explain myself. But equally, it's a horrible thing to have to ask. So not a horrible thing to have to ask, but you you don't always know what you're scary, going to get back. It? Yeah, yeah. So um, is there a way to, is it just put on your big boy pants and just ask the question? Or is there a way that you've developed to make it easier to kind of to ask that without it seeming so confronting i think you just need to are you okay is a fine question to ask um but i think you can elaborate a little bit on it and depending on the individual because you know that person obviously you're you're questioning so you know that person better than i can say anything about them but um asking them I haven't heard from you know state what's going on I haven't heard from you from in a while I just wanted to check that you're okay um do you do you want to speak about anything or do you want to talk to me I'm here if you need me those kind of things give let them know that you are here for them um and the question is you know I've done it before I say to someone you don't seem like yourself um there's something going on would you like to talk to me if they say no I will go around and say to them well just so you know I am here if you want to uh, and they've said no they don't want to talk to me at the moment but I've given them permission to come to me when, they, when it's ready for them and quite often um, that person will be quiet for a few seconds and go actually I'm going for this and people are just looking for the permission to be able to talk I think because people think oh they don't want to hear my crap they've got all their own stuff to deal with you know they're my first yeah first world problems and blah 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 but it's all relative it's it's you know we all have our own life it's relative to us it's our struggles um and i think it's just make it be important to let people know that you are there for them that's the biggest thing um and mm -hmm. i have been doing this for oh my god six years now something like that and publicly talking about it on things like podcasts like that and locally i live in a small town in the south of england Torquay by the sea and locally if i go out for an evening guarantee i'll have at least one or two people come up to me and say you're the guy that does the mental health stuff aren't you Okay, yes, yeah, right. And they'll go, well, I've been going through this. And they just open up and tell me stuff anyway, because they know that I'm a safe space. I haven't even had to ask them the question. And mm -hmm. I think we can all do that for our, you don't have to do it publicly all over the all over the internet, but we can do that for our, our social group and our and our support group. So we all look after one another, really. Mm. I think there's um for me personally, the way that I consume social media, as a lot of people do. Um, I see a lot of talk about mental health and actually it's the kind of talk that does make me grimace a bit I have to be honest because it's almost yeah. like this polished version of mental health of here's five slides swipe through to know whether you yeah. are a high performing something or other whereas I think what I really appreciate what you about what you do and what the Lions Barber Collective does is it's incredibly practical it's it's not fluffing anywhere or trying to sort of make it a status it is just here are the facts people struggle with their mental health and they don't feel as though they can talk here's how to let people know it's okay to a be struggling and b to talk yeah well look, we, we all we all need to love and be loved and we all need to belong that's basic human needs we all need those things and we all have mental health as we all have physical health it isn't a a label it isn't you know we, we for so long we've considered mental health as something that's like over here that someone else people have it's a clinical diagnosis of bipolar depression anxiety suicide whatever and and people then i think because it's more awareness about it perhaps people are self-diagnosing i've got this i've got that but actually we all have mental health we all have anxiety we all have bad days we all have you know you could have a bad night's sleep and then you know something happens and then yeah it could, you just we all have bad days we all lose people we all lose jobs um and I think it's about recognizing that and teaching each other to be able to look after each other, listen, ask, um, 
keep yourself mentally well like how do you keep yourself mentally well we know what we should be doing physically it's been drummed into us for so long but mentally people don't really know how to do that if you had a cold you'd you'd know how to look after it wouldn't you You'd know how to make yourself feel a bit better but if you're just having a really bad day people think oh, i've just got to get on with it i've got to get on with it i've got to go to work i've got to do this i've got to do that. i think it's about realizing that and and realizing that we're on this scale um but you know like you said there are a lot of things out there that are I think sometimes it's glamorizing it um, or sensationalizing it. Um, and I think there's a lot of people that are talking about it, maybe not for the right reasons. I don't know. But I think it's, it is quite a sort of finger pointing as well. And I think actually it's, we should be pointing the fingers back at ourselves and looking after each other because it is, it is doable. It is doable to look after each other. And I'm not trying to say that we've taken away um, the professionals or, you know, we're better than medicine or medicine's bad or this, because I think it's a combination of everything. It's about having this community, the support, the connection, the, the intimacy, the touch, the trust. And also if you need it, support group, CBT, antidepressants, you know, whatever it is you need to have a combination of all them to keep you safe is important. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's about building that support group around you and hopefully as a hair and beauty industry, we can make a little bit of a difference because here in the UK, 72% of people who take their life have had no contact with mental health services in a year before they die. But they've probably had a haircut or a beauty treatment. Or So if we can be that bridge almost, we catch that we serve the communities, we catch them and we put, pass them over the bridge to the mental health services or support groups or, and let them know that they exist because the problem is most people don't realise they exist and there's preconceived thoughts that, oh, it's such a long waiting list. There's nothing available. It's like, because you hear it all the time. And actually I'm working with a lot of these resources and they're like, oh, we've got loads of space. We've got no waiting list. We're, we're, we're having to give up some of the group sessions because we haven't got people to fill it. But it's because people don't know, they don't, they're not using it. They're not accessing it or they're not aware that it's there. I think we still do. And I don't know, you probably have more insight on this, but we still have this idea of it's better to be resilient. It's better to sort of, be a shock absorber for these things so I have friends who say oh I'm just going to let it go or oh god get on with it get over it and I think that can be the hardest thing for someone to hear when they're struggling because clearly they're struggling because they can't let it go and they can't get over it and yet I have friends who will say oh I'm you know I don't have mental health issues I just get on with it and I sometimes think I do hope that you're not just bottling it up and it doesn't all come out one day. That's not to say that it will. Everyone is completely different. Mm, of course they are. But I think the reason why I wanted to mention this idea of resilience and letting it go is because I think we put a lot of pressure on men in particular yeah. to not struggle with their mental health. It's far, I think women probably find it easier to talk about their feelings and what's going on than men do. And that, I guess, is where the asking has the real skill because I guess the reflex is to say, no, mate, I'm all right. I'm fine. Yeah. Well, men have got really good at pretending to be okay because when they do open up, uh, the, the response they get is often negative. Uh, like you just said, man up, get on with it. Come on, mate. You'll be all right. Time's a good healer. Um, uh, there's an interesting study by Dr. Brene Brown, who talks about the impact of when she speak, when when men speak to the women in their lives, and the, you know the responses they get are actually really quite shocking. Some of the things that they said, and uh, but I don't think it's because the women are being nasty to the men. I think it's just because they're shocked, don't know what to say, and think, oh no, uh, yeah, you're meant to be the strong one. You're meant to be this. You're meant to be that, and they just and they do it. But you think if a guy who's pretended to be okay all his life has now built up the courage because they're told we're told to talk all the time now aren't we it's it's constantly out there be in touch with your feminine side talk about your emotions well but when they do they're shut down because people aren't comfortable with the with the listening or the responding yet so i think in a sense we're in a, a not a dangerous place but uh, we need to move on from telling everyone to talk to teaching people how to listen and respond and, you know, if someone opens up and tells you something, if you panic, if you don't know what to say, if you're scared, just thank them for telling you. Thank you because they've chosen you. Out of all the people they could tell, they've chosen you. That's a real big honour. So thank you for telling me, you know, um, if you don't know what to say, say, I don't know what to say, but I'm here to listen. And hopefully I'll try and understand what you're going through. And then you don't really have to do that much more. Just be there for them. Mm. Just be with them. Don't try and fix and solve them. Tell them what to do. Don't tell them that you understand what they're going through because you went through this and it's similar because no one understands. We all have our own things. We all have our own perception on life. So, you know, it's actually 
simple once we step past the fear of actually asking or listening and and we need to just progress now definitely the response is key Mm. And I think one of the things that you said, which is so key, is don't say I know how you feel and don't try to solve mm. it, and which is incredibly tempting because you think oh, I, I just want to make this all right. But making it all right actually is just creating the communication channel. Yeah, look, we I think we've all said it, haven't we? We've all said to someone, I know how you feel. When I was going through this, I went through that, you know, blah, blah, blah. You, you should be doing this. So I understand because when I broke up with so-and-so, but it's not the same relationship. It's like if if um, I lost my pet dog and you lost your pet dog, it might be a complete, you know, it's not the same thing. You know, my dog might have been a nightmare. It chewed up all the furniture and I hated it because I always had to take it out for walks. No one else looked after it. But your dog might have been your best friend. So, you know, I can't say I know how you feel because I don't. We all have our mm-hmm. own perception on life. And I think actually we do it because we're almost sort of taught to do it, aren't we? We're taught to say those things to people because we think it's empathetic, but actually you know, just step back and say, I don't know how you feel, but I'm here. If you want to try and explain, I'm Mm. here for you. It's building that intuition, isn't it? It's building that empathy. And I think um, I had an amazing psychologist on the podcast recently called Dr. Ramani Devazula, and she actually, her expertise is narcissism. But she said something on the podcast that really struck me because I have been, I'm a nearly 44 year old woman and when I hear about my friends who are working with people in their 20s and maybe early 30s and they say oh they had to take a personal day for their mental health I do I have to be honest with you I sometimes roll my eyes or think god Mm. I I had terrible time in my 20s and 30s at work but I I would have lost my job if I'd taken a mental health day and so I have that thing of oh snowflakes and then she said something which is but we're talking about our feelings now, which means that we're talking about them in our 20s so that we're not having to excavate them in our 40s in therapy sessions. Like people are far more in touch with their feelings and actually it completely changed my perspective of that kind of mental health being, being, even though I think I'm a champion and I like to talk about these things and I think we're all affected, I've still been that person who's rolled their eyes. And it's hard not to. It's it's, it's a, um, we're in a, I think... I look at it, I speak to a lot of men, I speak to a lot of people, obviously I listen to a lot of people. And I think, you know, there's this sort of my dad's generation where it, it was very, the roles were known, what a man did, what a woman did, what I did, you know, they, they had that, they knew where they stood, basically. It was quite simple. It was quite, you know, this is what they do, this is what they do, man has to be this, woman has to be this, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then you speak to the guys when I go to universities and the young lads, and I, I went to a pop-up at, in Bristol and the guys never met any of them before. They knew we were a mental health charity. I was cutting their hair in the middle of the student union and they'd sit down. And one of them, it took me 15 minutes to ask what he was going to do to his hair because he started just sat down and told me all about uh, the struggles of his course, uh, the pressure to be doing drugs, the pressure to be socializing. Blah, 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 blah. He just, just opened up to me, completely opened up to me. And then there's this sort of transitional generation in the middle where I suppose we kind of sit where I've got guys that like, they don't, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to be this? Am I supposed to be that? What is a man? Am I supposed to be able to be comfortable and open up? Or if I do, do I get the mic taken out of my mates? Um, can I buy a girl a drink or should she buy me a drink? Or do I, they're really confused. There's a lot of this middle, the guys that I speak to in the middle um, are really, really confused about what they're, where they're supposed to be. And I think actually it's, it's amazing when you go to the younger people and the universities and see how much it's evolving and opening up and, the strength um but i think we also have to be able to go look you know we know it's it's okay not to be okay and that and you know that and i think sometimes we can become it can become a bit of an excuse because it's okay not to be okay but it's not okay to continue being not okay so it's kind of like look i'm not okay but i need to do something about this how can i tr- teach myself or be taught how to keep myself mentally fit how can who do i need to talk to what here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What supplements can I take? What diet can I have? What food helps me? What, you know, what exercise, what connecting with people, um, being being uh, uh, present in the moment? Is that mindfulness? Is that is that meditation? Is that going to cinema, turning your phone off for two hours and what actually watching a film? You know, it's about going, yeah, it's okay not to be okay, but look, I can't stay here. I need to work out ways of how I'm going to get better and, and arming yourself so you don't get to that point as well. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, 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 it's evolving and it's really exciting to see mm. that we're doing this, but we really are just scratching the surface, I feel, with mental health. Yeah. And I think you touched on something there that I feel quite passionately about this idea of it's okay not to be okay. And those memes that you see, the, the, the people who've got the feeds that are constantly doing the same thing for the same people. Mm. I talked about my mental health on this podcast. And I very much have said that when I got diagnosed with depression and anxiety, it was like I got, I got given two red arrows. You are here on the map, which then allowed me to navigate my way away from those things. Yeah. It didn't then become my identity. And then I think there's this almost this thing of, and correct me if you have far more experience in this than me, but almost like I'm depressed, therefore the world has to treat me differently because I'm depressed rather than I'm depressed. Therefore I have to do a lot of work to build up my mental health and to get stronger and to be able to navigate the world with far greater ease. Have you noticed that kind of dynamic happening? Um, I think there's, look, when we do this, we do the training um, and we do the recognize our listen and help. Um, the key, we're, we're doing it. And I get people say, but what if they don't want help? I said, well, you can't make anybody do anything, but you can, you can need a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. But we need to be able to let people know that these things are available. So you can listen to people. You can ask them, you can ask them questions, sorry. You can listen to people and you can offer them help. You can tell them about where they can go and what they can do. But ultimately it all comes down to us ourselves. We're responsible for our own mm-hmm. lives. Um, but you can help people. You can help people if they want to be helped. And I think that's the key thing, isn't it? We need to we need to recognise, we need to ask people, we need to reach out to people, we need to look after people. But also we have our own responsibility for our own mental health, as I do for my own mental health, you know? And yeah, there's points where I take on too much stuff and I'm doing too many things. And there's points of overwhelm at the moment. I mean, for me personally, you know, I'm thinking, you know, the last 18 months I was in lockdown, I was I was here at the office and by myself working away and it was amazing. I've got loads of people trained online. We reached out to those people. We did lots of, um, I could keep up with everything because I didn't have to go out in the world. But since the summer, I've had to do all that and go out in the world and meet new people and be on stage and uh, la, 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 and write another book and, and have a family and, you know, do the kids stuff. And if, yeah, we're doing a house up and it's just like this overwhelm of going, you know, and the last couple of weeks I've gone, well, it's just too much. So I, I haven't been away this month. I said, I'm not doing anything. I'm not coming to London. I'm not going anywhere until next year now. And I've stepped back from that. And I've been working from home a bit because I know that if you know, I work from home, it's a little bit more relaxed. The kids come home, I see them. And, you know, so it's about, I I was getting to a point where I was thinking, oh my God, I just don't want to even do anything. I don't want to look at my, I don't want to open my computer because I don't want to look at the email. So I went, right, okay, I'm going to step back and do this. And and, and, and then it's also about finding that support group around you. I know who I can talk to. So at the board of the trustees, Ginny, I spoke to her and said, she said, look, take a long weekend. I'm telling you, as the, board, as, the board, as the chair of the board of trustees, take Monday and Friday off and have a long weekend and do that. You know, you don't have to be doing this all the time. You don't have to burn out. You don't have to, because we're no use to anyone, are we, if we burn out? You mm. can't pour from an empty cup, which is something that someone said to me a long time ago, which really resonates with me now. Yeah. And I think um, a lot of people I've spoken to quite a few mental health professionals over the last few weeks for for various podcast conversations. And they have all said one of the things they have all said in common is when the world went into lockdown, you had your old life and then you had to adjust to the new life and that had its own struggles. But then people kind of they found their equilibrium and it's been juggling the two as we've gone back to normal that has created the, the biggest stress 
and actually has created this thing. I think a lot of people towards the end of 2021, as we're in now, I've forgotten what year it is. Who knows what year? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Are feeling that sort of, are feeling a real sense of burnout. And it does lead me on to asking you, I remember one of the, one of the things I used to love asking uh, therapists when I used to go for beauty treatments, particularly body or facial treatments, was about the energy that they would pick up from people. Mm. Because very early on in my career as a beauty journalist, I had a massage therapist tell me that she was working on somebody, actually started to see some really horrible images in her head and thought, I can't work on this person anymore and got her colleague to take over who said the exact same thing, like the energy that was coming off was really bad. And it always fascinated me. A, clearly there is a very open line of communication, both physical, emotional and mental, but also how do you protect yourself from that? Because as you say, you've got to preserve your own energy. You've got to preserve, if you have someone in the chair and you're significantly worried about them, the next person's coming into your chair and you can't take that energy to them because you have to give them a fresh, clean slate, I guess. Yeah, well, I think in hair, in hair industry, we're a bit like, um, or beauty industry, we're a bit like social chameleons, aren't we? We evolve to have whoever's in our chair, basically, to, from one, one client to the next. And, you know, we do that, I don't know, 10, 12, 20 times a day, depending on how many clientele you have along your services are. And, you know, we, we do that all day. We finish, we go home, we get home, and our housemates or our partner says to us, do you have a good day? Oh, I don't want to talk anymore. I'm all talked out. And you sit down and you watch whatever it is on television or, or listen to music or whatever it is you do when you get home. And, you know, we're carrying all that stuff around with us all the time. And again, this is another reason why I think it's really important that we have this education around this, because if you're a therapist or a psychiatrist or a counselor or even a Samaritan on the helpline, suicide helplines, you know, they have to have, a therapist has to have a therapist, a psychiatrist has to have a psychiatrist. Samaritans, when they do their four-hour shifts, they can't leave without offloading what they've, what they've had, what the calls they've had, are they okay, what they've spoken about. You know, they have to do that. We don't have that as a service, which is ridiculous, really, when you think about how much stuff we take on. Um, and yeah, there's something that I, you know, uh, there's a proposal I put together this year, actually is in government at the moment about trying to get some sort of funding to try and create a, a helpline slash online website chat for hair and beauty industry to offload run by volunteers within the hair and beauty industry. So it's by our people for our people. So people who can relate to what the situation is like, because mm-hmm. it is a very unique industry in that sense. Um, and it's something that I'm hoping to be able to do eventually is provide this sort of offload service for our hair and beauty industry to look after them because I think if we can look after hair and beauty industry we can look after all the communities and our nations because everyone everyone goes to them so it's reaching the unreachable Mm. Um, but it's really important to look after yourself and until something like that is set up it's about what's your support group who do you talk to can you offload to uh, a colleague a manager um you can use the helplines like the, the the samaritans here in the uk or you know you can use them they're not just for people who are suicidal they are they're just listening there's loads of listening services so it's about accessing them and making sure you do that regularly and, and i think a lot of the time in the hair industry people think that they are gossips or you know i can't say anything to them because we get called gossips or they know all the gossip the hairdressers it's kind of a bit of a uh, derogatory term around hairdressing and and say oh they te- can't tell them because they'll tell everyone else and that sort of stuff so I think hairdressers purposely don't say anything but there's a way of talking about it isn't there you could say um, I had a client come in today and they're having an affair with someone and it was really you know really quite uh, yeah blah, blah 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 or whatever but the other way would be oh Jay, did you know Jane come in the other day and she's having it off with Dave and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So it's, it's the difference between it isn't there it's the difference of offloading something that's troubling you mm. and and gossip you know um so yeah i think it's really important to make sure you find a great support group colleagues clients you can even offload to clients as well if you've got good relationships with them you know I, i've done that before mm-hmm. the day after alex took his life i went to work because i thought i had to i man up and go to work um mm. and actually i spoke to my 12 clients that day about what was going on because i've known them for 15 years at that point and i felt better it didn't change anything it didn't make anything right but it it wasn't all in my head going around and around and around. So if you are having that, find someone you can talk to that you trust, find a helpline, make sure you do that regularly just to let, get rid of the burden. You can't carry on. You've got to carry your own stuff around, not everyone else's. Well, exactly. And one of the other things as well, because I obviously would love for this to be 
something that turns up in hairdresser training or beauty therapist training. But I mean, I have uh, friends like Joe Jones and Sally Hughes who started beauty banks because they realized that the beauty industry could be incredibly helpful in helping to end hygiene poverty. Caroline Hirons, who started Beauty Back to support beauty industry during lockdown and raised an incredible amount of money during that time. So there are elements of our industry it isn't just about the services it goes it goes a lot wider what would be your dream would you like lions barber collective training to be in the training for all hairdressers and therapists moving forward yeah i i saw something today actually on instagram which actually uh uh which you just made me think of now this morning when i first got up and it said remember um i'm paid to be your stylist not your friend and and saying that we're you know as as hairdressers and barbers we don't need to be people's friends we don't need to draw across that line we're there with their paying us for a service and all this sort of stuff and it really almost sort of broke my heart a little bit because mm. they're not paying us to be their friend we build a relationship outside of the paid treatment and it's really special and unique and something like you know so i think i hope that attitude isn't going to be something that's developing in the hair and beauty industry and um, where we, we separate ourselves from each other from our clients who just a, you're just a service because you're not you're a person and we will build up relationships with clients we will have that so I think it's really important that we do have these skills for these conversations um, my dream is you know Lions Barber Collective is a global thing um, it's it's not just barbers it's hair, hairdressers and uh, beauticians as well therapists um, I'm working with one of the uh, train uh, the awarding com- uh, sorry awarding bodies uh, here in the UK about developing the training so that it can be delivered in colleges um, as a, as a recognised qualification uh, with, uh, with certificates and all the rest of it. You know, um, so working on that. Hopefully, that will happen next year. Um, and I would just love it if look, if we could get this training out to everybody, and the hairdressers don't have to pay for it, and the barbers and the beauty don't have to pay for it because they feel they deserve it and they need it to get through. That is the dream, really. Um, it's taught in all the colleges. The, 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 the only way you're going to make long-lasting real change is if you teach the next generation. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're starting to partner up with colleges. We've got two new lines academies, Milton Keynes and South Devon College, that are partnering with us, which means all their students are going to be taking the training. I think that's a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, essentially, uh, it would. The, the, okay, let me go. There's a few the things that I really, really want. Okay, we want to have. We want to have Lions Barber Collective Charity be sustainable, so it's not reliant on me. If I'm not here anymore, it continues way beyond me forever and ever and ever. The training um, in colleges, uh, the Bob Talk and Hand Beauty Talk in colleges, as part of their qualification, as their health and safety is. So that we're changing the next generation. Um, I want to have non-profit Lions Barber Collective salons and barbershops around the country, potentially around the world, where they are a non-profit salon barbershop. So they uh, obviously pay to help the charity be sustainable and help to pay to train other barbers and hairdressers in that county or area and also provide as a bridge from the community to the resources that are available as well as a safe space for other hair and beauty professionals in the area to go if they need a space to to offload um and they're sort of like the the three main things that i would like to do moving forward really and i'm guessing there's already some momentum in those areas yeah with lot, <laughs> there's lots of things going on we've got um a few things that are another shop coming hopefully very soon conversations about other ones um i've had conversations about about the training which has been developed already and um i've had a couple of conversations with two very large hair and beauty businesses companies brands shall we say that are global in the last couple of weeks about helping us develop the training and more reach and and getting it out there to more people so hopefully fingers crossed we will next year will be a, a big step forward for the charity and for mental health and the importance of our industry I think that's something that people forget we say I'm just a barber I'm just a therapist I'm just a nail tech I'm just a hairdresser and we are so much more than that we are we are, we, 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 we we save people's lives <laughs> we actually do save people's lives and you know that it we're, we're looked down upon as an industry and we are so important um I think through the lockdown, people did recognize that a little bit more. It's the relationship. It's the skill set that we have, the empathy, the emotional intelligence, uh, the life skills, the art of conversation. Those kind of things are so undervalued with our all doing all of that whilst doing something highly technical Mm. and very precise. It's so amazing. And that's why we we started the Collective Pride Awards, um, which I I told you about that. Right. And um, we just announced the winners for that yesterday. And the idea is that there's so many awards for 
the creative side of our industry, which is mm -hmm. amazing because it's an amazing creative industry and we should celebrate that. But I think um, I wanted to create something that celebrated those people who go above and beyond that and they look after the unsung heroes, the ones that do stuff for their clients, colleagues, communities um, and beyond. So we just we just actually announced the winners yesterday and the finals are on the 17th of January to celebrate them. And that's the first one. Hopefully that'll go on forever celebrating our amazing industry. That's that's really exciting. And it's, it's I was actually chatting to a friend yesterday uh, saying I was just speaking to you today and how there is so little training, unless you're in a big corporation where they tick all the boxes, if you like. There's so little training. And I grew up on magazines where you started out young, hungry, enthusiastic, you'd write anything. And then if your career was to progress in the way that it kind of, you hoped it would, you'd end up in an editor position or mm. managing a section, editing a section. And then you suddenly had to manage a team with no training. So if you hadn't, yeah. like, I remember making the joke, you know, you start your career writing position of the fortnight and then you're managing a team of 10 and having to deal with with people in a very competitive industry. And that is a very tough thing to navigate. And I have friends who were editors who will say it was the thing that they look back on and know that they did terribly because they had no idea how to manage the emotions and care for the people around mm -hmm. them. And so it's a similar thing, really. It's it's teaching emotional intelligence when you learn a skill. It's teaching emotional intelligence when you get a role so that you can better serve the people around you and basically it also means the job gets done better in the long term right yeah of course it does i, mean, I think i think as hairdresser if you, a successful hairdresser or barber or beautician has a level of empathy and emotional intelligence because they can like i said earlier on your social chameleon you evolve and you adapt to that person in the chair you know what you can say to one you don't know you can say what you can't say to another and you know how the boundaries are and you and that's an amazing amazing skill set that i think we're getting less and less of because we're having less face-to-face communication with people we're having less human contact and I think it's a very very valuable skill and it's a very valuable time I mean how often do you get an hour one-to-one -one with somebody mm. with human contact with no interruptions and it's all about you too and I think it is it, it's an incredible incredible space and incredible role that we have and I think it needs to be recognized a bit better mm. um, and, and the value of what we do so I think it's I think the hair and beauty industry is an amazing amazing tool in the world's battle against mental health i think it can really make a massive difference to people because you feel great anyway when you come out and it's you look great you feel great and it's not just because they've made you look great and it's because you've had a conversation you've had a recharge you've sat down and we're getting busier and busier lives <laughs> we've sat down for a little bit of time with someone i think we do make a difference whether we like it or not these if there's any hair and beautician's professionals listening to this they're, they've probably already helped people. They've probably mm. helped so many people they're completely unaware of. They're, do, they're doing it anyway. Just if we could just have that little bit of knowledge to make us feel safe around doing it, mm. confident, then we could be even better. Well, I saw you say that when you actually tot it all up, when you think about all of the hours that you listen to people, mm. it's 2,000 hours a year, probably on average, just people in your chair and you get to listen. And that's a real position of privilege. Look, we have to be good listeners, really, don't we? Because if we're not good listeners, we're not going to have clients because they say, I want an inch off the bottom. I don't want any layers. And I cut it into a bob um, and layer it up and give them a fringe. They're going to be really disappointed because I haven't <laughs> listened to what they say. We have to be good listeners. It's one of the first things we're taught in hair and beauty. So I think, you know, it, it is part of our part of our journey. It is part of our life. And I think uh, it, it's a very privileged position to be in. Mm. I think we're very, very lucky. I just want to, before we end our time together, I just wanted to go back to something you said earlier about um, how you would have coped that conversation you had in the street. What if, uh, and you realizing that if uh, you had spotted a red flag, would you have mm. been able to respond in the way that was appropriate? So if someone's listening to this, essentially, I just want to sort of arm them with something before we, uh, before we leave them with, if they do sense a red flag and they, it makes them freeze or they think I wouldn't know what to do. What are your tools for helping the person and also doing the right thing by you? Yeah. So the, the question, if we're going down to the question of are you suicidal and do you have a plan? Um, I can say honestly, hand on heart that every time I have asked that question to somebody, that person's still alive today. Um, and that person said yes I'd do so that person's still alive today so it's an important question to ask because 
they may not be if they if I hadn't have asked that question there's people I wish I could have asked it to so I think the important thing is not to be scared to ask someone are you suicidal do you have a plan are you thinking of taking your own life and um, don't ask something like I bet you're not thinking of doing something stupid are you because mm. that's not stupid to them in the moment you just belittling them and it's not you know you might think it's stupid but that person in the moment it, it thinks it's a genuine option so I think don't be scared to ask it well you can be scared to ask it I've been scared to ask it but push past that and ask that question that life-saving question you're not going to put the idea in someone's head if you ask them if they're suicidal and they're not um but you will give them that green light to know that it's safe to talk about it um and again if they say yes you you don't if you don't know what to say again be honest with them say oh i don't know what to say but i'm here for you if you want to talk about it i don't try and guilt them into feeling but what about your family what about your kids what about you because that might be the reason why they feel suicidal for example um, so don't try and guilt them and work with them. Don't tell them what to do. Create a plan to keep them safe with them. Shall we call your brother? Shall we, what do you think? Should we call your brother, get him to come down so I don't feel safe letting you go by yourself? Um, things like that. Just work with them. Don't tell them you understand. Don't tell them you know how you feel. Don't tell them about your experience when you felt down one day because of something because it's not relatable in that moment. Um, again, just listen to them. Tell me more about that. It seems like you're really upset about that. Would you like to explain to me more? You know, um, I, I think that I, I could give an example of what it would be like if I was so say I was cutting someone's hair and they came in. Say you came in to my chair, cut your hair, and you got a lovely tan. And I go, "Well, you got a lovely tan. You've been on holiday." And you say, "Yeah, I've been to Brazil." And I go, oh, "I love Brazil. When I was in Brazil, blah 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 blah," and go off about Brazil. My experience of it. What I should say is, "Wow, Brazil! I went to Brazil. It was fantastic. What did you like when you were there?" It's about throwing that conversation back to them all the time. Don't try and talk or relate to it. Let them talk. Say, I don't understand. I don't know how you feel, but I'm here to listen if you want to. Let them talk. Try and create a plan to keep them safe and keep you safe as well. Mm. And if it's an emergency, it's a crisis, you can call an ambulance, you can call the police, you can, you know, if you need to, you can, that's what they're there for. You can call them too um, and keep them safe that way. Because it's also about keeping you safe. And then if you need to, open up and talk to someone about it as well mm. and that was something interesting that you said in the talk is that if you are really concerned you can lock that salon door and you can call an ambulance or you can call the police and say this is an emergency situation yeah look they, if it's an emergency the emergency services are there um here in the uk they do have mental health services at the er or casualty or whatever you want to call it um so they are getting better with that. It is available to do if, but if it's a moment of crisis. So I've had to do that a couple of times. I've done that twice. I sent one for a friend here in the UK. He's still alive now, thankfully. Um, I actually did it for somebody that I didn't know who was in New York, who actually messaged me on Facebook, knew what we were doing, messaged me, ran to me on Facebook, taking that he was going to end his life. Um, I found out his friend's, through Facebook, found out that he was in New York, found out that he was going to this where he said he was going to where his wife works. So I found out through his friend where his wife works and we called the police and managed to get him safe. Um, and that was through Facebook, random person I've never met before in New York. You know, like, and that was a few of the lines helped me find it and locate him and the rest of it. But, you know, the, the emergency services can help in that moment of crisis. Um, mm -hmm. And then afterwards, it's about recovery. You said something earlier that I wanted to just quickly pick out, which is, um, uh, years ago I did a, an interview for when I was working on a magazine with somebody who had tried to take their own life and we did an interview where he shared in I mean extremely minute detail everything that he did and when I wrote it up obviously the, ed the editor was like oh my god this is amazing but I ran it past the Samaritans and they said do not put in no any detail for the no. love of Mike, do not do that. And you said a minute ago, if you're asking someone if they are suicidal and have a plan, you're not going to put the idea in their head, which is obviously the the uh, inference that I got from what the Samaritans were saying. But that, I think that's a really crucial thing to say, that yeah. you're not going to give them the idea to do something. No, you're not. And actually, you touched on something. There's some really new research that came out uh, just before lockdown or during lockdown, whenever it was. But um, basically, it was around the stories around suicide and the impact they have. So uh, for example, if you tell um, if you tell a story and about somebody who died by suicide, like Alex, for example, um, and you talk about how amazing he was and how he was loved, but he did die by suicide, those stories are very neutral um, because you didn't mention the means, method, location, anything like that. But if you do 
tell a story about someone who died by suicide and you mention means, method, location, you, you sensationalize it, those kind of things, they will actually cause two more deaths in that locality of that story in the following 12 months. If it's a celebrity, it's eight more deaths. And it has huge impact. But if you tell stories about people who maybe attempted, survived, had a great, you know, and now gone on to have a successful life, whatever that looks like, family, friends, whatever, yeah, um, successful to them, those stories actually save two lives in the following calendar year in that locality. So it's really important to make sure we don't sensationalize, we don't talk about um, means, methods, things like that. Th those that we can talk about suicide, but in a safe manner, you know, asking people those questions and um, keeping those people safe. And like I said, if you know, if you have a positive story about mental health, if you have a positive story about how you've gone through something and you've survived and you've gone on to have a successful life, those stories are really important to share. You know, don't be ashamed that you're in that low moment because we all have them. And the more you open up and tell about, tell people about it, the more you realise everyone's had these moments where they feel yeah. awful. It's interesting, isn't it? In the last year, I've definitely seen more men, particularly male sportsmen, sharing like really quite detailed stories about their struggles, whatever it might have been, which is something that you just wouldn't have seen a few years ago. And it has a huge impact. It's like when the... Uh, the princes told everyone about their troubles they went through when their mum died and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. they, I think I think it was mine. I had like an 80% rise in male, male calls the next day because mm -hmm. men went, well, if they can talk about it, I can talk about it. And, you know, I've been there. I was I, I had suicidal thoughts once when I was laying, laying in bed and I was worrying about all the stuff that was going on. And I was thinking it just came to as an idea that came as a solution. I never actually considered actually taking my life. But my brain went, oh, God, running out of ideas, running out of ideas. You could always kill yourself. And and I sat up in bed and went, oh, my God, what? I need to do something about this. I need to. And that was a, a moment for me to go, Look, I need to sort this out. I need to make take action on this. I need to, because I think, you know, we all do it. We all put things to the back and we all put things in a box and we all, you know, because we don't want anyone else to worry about us or, and we always think that everyone else is doing so well, especially in this world of social media where everyone says, you know, you go and see people, oh, you're doing amazing. You're such a well, yeah, I am at times, but actually, you know, there's this going on and there's that going on. and they, But people don't see that, do they? They just see the the amazing things. And we all go through stuff. We all have troubles and strains and stresses, whatever it may be. And it's all relative to us, you know, mm. just because you've got a nice job and a nice car and a nice house doesn't mean that you can't feel bad. Exactly. And actually, that's reminded me, I've, spoke, I've said this before on the podcast, but I'll say it again because it just... I heard RuPaul say something on his podcast that pulled me out of a very, very dark time in my life. And it really was one of those sort of, sort of light bulb moments. He said, everybody has an internal saboteur and that, and, mm. and that internal saboteur is trying to get you alone so it can kill you. And that mm. was the thing that made me go, oh, oh, I'm letting the, I'm letting the saboteur win. And I was like, you ain't winning, bitch. And so, yeah. <laughs> that kind, you know, that kind of, that was, I mean... I, I enjoy RuPaul significantly with a yeah, huge amount of love. So um, <laughs> well, it, it hit you, the mark. <laughs> yeah, and you, like you say that I, I did um, I did some work once with uh, Ramesh Ranganathan and mm -hmm. I, I was chatting with him and that about it. And you know he he's on every single bloody channel. Every you turn you can't turn over the channel without an advert of him or a podcast or a, he's everywhere. You see how successful he is. And I was chatting to him and he goes, "Oh, you, but you know we all have I have this inner bastard. You know I come out and I go." You know, uh, oh, you come off stage, you go, oh, that was crap, Ramesh. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done this. You should, oh, you're so bad, blah, 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 blah. And he was chatting to me about how he was thinking about taking a year off because, you know, he's done so much. And blah, blah, blah. he goes, yeah, but if I take a year off, you know, you, you'll be forgotten about. You'll be blah, 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 all this sort of stuff. He said, yeah, you think, look at him. He's probably the most successful comedian mm -hmm. in the UK right now, surely. I mean, he's, mm -hmm. I mean, he's an Arsenal fan. He watched the, uh, the, the football with Prince William. He sat in the royal box watching it. I mean, like that's pretty successful, right? And <laughs> and he still has that inner doubt about himself, and he still has that, that inner bastard. And the thing is, the, the voice we listen to the most in our lives is our own internal monologue. And the problem is, we're horrible to ourselves most of the time, aren't we? So mm -hmm. you know, I think it's it's about trying to be a bit nicer to ourselves, maybe not believe ourselves are in a in a bastard so much, um, and try and sort of step up and accept what some other people think of us as well you know I think that's you know it's really um it's really important to be able to take compliments and accept praise because we're not I don't think in the UK we're not very good at that are we mm -mm. <laughs> yeah I mean even if someone compliments you on your top you go oh it's only it's only Primark or you don't have to say that you can say oh thank you 
Thanks so Thank much. Thank you very much. You look, you look lovely too. You know, yeah. it's like, it's like, like how, how difficult is that? You know, but it's, it's, um, we're not, we're not great at it. And I think mm. we just need to start loving ourselves a bit more and work out how to do that. Um, it's something I saw, something I'm looking for now, it's something I saw a quote this morning said, imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome is just being so lit that you can't believe it. <laughs> Which I thought was quite funny because, yeah, imposter syndrome is something I think if anyone, I mean, I felt like that at times. Mm. I think, God, what am I doing here on stage in front of 3,000 people cutting hair? Like, I can't cut hair that good. They're going to find mm. out. They're going to find out. <laughs> They're going to find out I'm not a real barber or whatever, you know? Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's all perception, isn't it? It's all people's perception, our perception, other people's perception. Yeah. Well, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I knew it would be. And I really hope that uh, this does get into the training manuals, that this is taken seriously. I love the idea of a buddy system in the beauty industry. Like you finish a shift and you call somebody. They could be anywhere else in the country and you just have your deep, any of those sorts of things. This sounds, I just think this is really good work. And I've worked in the beauty industry for over 20 years and I love it with all my heart and getting to see you speak recently really uh, made me realize there's so much more we can keep doing to just support the people who are in this industry, both the professionals and the people who sit in your chairs or lie on the tables or whatever it is. Yeah. It's the most, I think it's probably the, the, one of the most amazing industries in the world. It does so much for people. Um, would you just let people know where they can find you before we sign off? Uh, yeah, uh, so Lions Barber Collective website um, is lionsbarbercollective.com. You can find all stuff on there. We've got collectivepride.co.uk, which is the awards. Um, and if you want to get, uh, well, Instagram, Tom Chapman Hair, if you want to get any of the uh, any of my books or anything like that, if you search Tom Chapman on Amazon, they're all on there or Waterstones or whatever. So you can find that. And we have a documentary on Amazon Prime called The 1.7 Million Pound Haircut 2. And also, just as a note, I should say, you just mentioned Amazon, you do have a new book, How to Listen, So Men Will Talk, coming in 2022. So that's imminent. So um, I will add that link to the show notes for pre-order so that people can get hold of that when it's available. Um, Tom Chapman, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode you have to answer a couple of questions but we cannot wait to see you there come over and join the conversation thank you so much for listening i will see you on the next one deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.